Welcome to Soul Path Parenting, the podcast that explores how we set our kids up to live their best lives from the start, and how we stay conscious, inspired, and sane while we do it. I'm your host, Amy Breeze Cooper. Every human being comes into the world as four aspects, mind, body, emotion, and spirit. Female energy is emotion and spirit. Male energy is mind and body. When we gender ourselves, that is when we choose a lifetime and we decide what gender we're going to be, we generally come in with specific things to do that will use more of the energy of the gen we have chosen. Oh my gosh, you guys, you are in for a treat today. I am so excited to share this episode with you. This is episode 12, and today we are talking with Pat Windham. Pat is a life path counselor. She has both a master's in theology and intuitive gifts that allow her to read past lives, understand universal law, and really use those gifts to show us that we are all much more than we think we are. Pat is also a parent and a step-parent to six adult children, including two with special needs and a grandmother. So she has tons of wisdom to share. This is going to be the first of a two-part interview with Pat. And the next 45 minutes or so are going to be like a condensed masterclass in defining your life's journey, tapping into both masculine and feminine energy, and the bigger picture of what's happening on the planet, which frankly, she has explained a lot of what we've all been experiencing. I have to say, before I did this interview and and started talking with Pat, I had only ever heard of The Age of Aquarius as a Broadway song that I really couldn't even tell you where it was from. By the way, I looked it up. It's from Hair. And um, she sheds light also on this shifting from the Piscean era into the Aquarian era and what that means for the energy that we all stepped into starting around 2012 and what that means for you and your kids. One last note before we dive in, the recording software that I normally use wasn't working for this interview, so we had to go to a plan B. I've cleaned it up. It sounds good. It's not perfect, but it's good, and I think you're going to be able to hear everything and get everything out of this episode uh, that you're meant to. So with that, let's get started. Good afternoon, Pat, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to start out our interview with just asking you to share a little bit about your background as well as your family context. So if you could talk about what you do, how you were educated, because I think that's really interesting as well, and also your family. Well, how long did you say this was? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of stuff. I'll, I'll do the telegram version, as my husband used to say. Love it. So, uh, yeah, I did my bachelor's degree at Barnard College uh, and then waited some years to do a master's degree. Um, In the meantime, I had become a dancer on Broadway, uh, a rather eclectic background, um, which is how I actually worked my way through college, um, intending ultimately to be a Shakespearean actress, but then that wasn't going to work. So then I... Married and 
uh, inherited five stepdaughters, the youngest of whom is schizophrenic, uh, married a man who is, was, he's deceased now, an actor who traveled a lot, so I was often a single parent. The, the daughters ranged from two to 16 when I got them. Wow. So it was quite a challenge. Um, and uh, in the middle of all of that, or sort of after the worst of the beginning of it, um, I then had uh, my only blood child, who is an autistic son. And then I was told, well, let me back up just a little bit. How I got started in doing the work I actually do is that the man I had loved more than life itself died very young. And after he died, he decided that he was going to come and teach me how to do this work. So as you can imagine, at least for the first two years after he died, I thought I was crazy. Uh, but I, I learned quite a bit. We were then joined by a Buddhist monk in a, an out-of-body situation. So I learned a lot more. Never, mind you, never speaking to anyone about this because I thought, not only did I think I was crazy, everybody else would too. But over the years, um, I realized that um, the children were all doing well. I had to become an advocate for two, two different kinds of handicapped children. I ran my husband's business end of his career. Um, so I couldn't actually be crazy. Therefore, I had to accept that these are ultimately different realities and I was living in more than one. Then I got told by Master Chang, the other out-of-body teacher, that I needed to go to the seminary here in San Francisco. It was actually in, in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, as he's telling me this one day, I'm saying, why should I do that? And his answer was, no questions, just go. So I then spent five years getting a master's degree in theology, um, could never explain fully why that was absolutely what I needed to do, but it was. So I learned Hebrew and Greek and uh, a whole lot of history that I didn't know about. Um, and then just continued to do the work that I do, which is really about um, understanding past lives, understanding universal law, understanding how and why we are in our human state at present so limited in what we understand and believe that we can do, because we can actually do a lot more than we think we can. Um, and ultimately, of course, you know, still dealing with all my children and um, all of their various issues. I now have grandchildren and um some of my daughters who refused ever to marry and have children. The youngest of those daughters, the schizophrenic girl, is now in a lockdown situation because oh. she can't stay off drugs. My autistic son, I'm trying valiantly to continue to advocate for him and figure out how to get some kind of a support system for him that isn't just me. So there's my um, telegram version of a long background. There was so much there, Pat. <laughs> and That's I, what I'm uh, saying. How long have you got? 
Right. That brings up some really great questions. But because I have limited time with you and you're such a, a fountain of wisdom, I'm going to be choiceful. Um, the, I think the first thing that uh, question that that provokes for me is you mentioned that we can do more than we think we can. And I would love to hear more about what you see in that context. I'll tell you a beautiful line. My six-year-old granddaughter and I were having dinner one night, and she was talking about Frozen, and she was talking about all of the things that she liked about Frozen. And after a few minutes of that discussion, she got this thoughtful look on her face, and she said, I am just going to have to start magicking up to do all the things <laughs> I want to do. That is what I mean. That is what we can do. If you look back into our history as humans in the ancient world, we thought, understood a whole lot more than we presently do about the world, about the universe, in fact. In the ancient world and in many indigenous cultures, the understanding of communication between the physical world and the spirit world was just what you did every day. There was no question about that. The understanding that you could literally create out of the energy between your hands, you can create something physical. They all knew that. We absolutely have blocked it out. The idea that we have the ability to time travel now, of course, we've got a whole lot of, a whole lot of movies that talk about these time machines, et cetera. We don't need a time machine to space travel. I mean, time travel. We absolutely are capable of doing it. But here's the problem. We have, in fact, lost these skills because as we got more, in quotes, civilized, we got less real, less true to who we are as beings in the physical world, human form, um, as we've heard before, spirit having a human experience. Mm -hmm. Spirit can do everything. There is, I suppose we'd have to say, a certain level of physical limitation. But, you know, you remember, um, which was the first one, Star Trek. And the whole little machine they had where you could go in and you would see a puff of light and the person would disappear and then would reappear somewhere else. Yep. Beam me up. Yeah. We have absolutely the ability to disintegrate ourselves and reintegrate ourselves other where. I mean, think about the traffic problems that would be solved, you know, it would be <laughs> fantastic. Um, but these are all skills like playing the piano, you know, or passing a football. These are skills that we have lopped off and lopped off and lopped off over centuries, particularly, forgive me, anybody who um, is highly uh, into the church structure, but the church, in order to create its power structure, had to take power away from people in order mm -hmm. to put the people in a powerless position so that they had to go through those who were, and mind you, it's not just the church. We can go back to um, the the place where David took over as king in Palestine, 
because at that time, people were doing everything on their own. And King David suddenly came in and said, oh, wait, we're not going to do it that way. We're now going to have you all become (laughs) debtors, slaves here. You're going to now give us three quarters of your crops. You won't be able to feed yourselves. We're going to export, but you're now going to have to buy your food from us. So it's every time you, you set up a power structure, you take away, just by definition, the power of the people who are now at the bottom end of that structure. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating to hear you talk about what human beings are capable of. And I have to say, this isn't the first time I'm hearing this about the ability to sort of transcend physical space and time. And yet I still feel very human and constrained, perhaps by imagination. And maybe my listeners too are thinking right now, huh, I can't really wrap my brain around that. And so could you sort of take it to a, a, a 101 level and talk a little bit more about how could that be possible? Yes, that's a, that's a really good um, kind of, okay, let's now get down out of the clouds and put our back <laughs> on um, and, and the truth is we, we have to start where we are. We have to start at a place where each of us personally understands the truth of our self, the, ourselves. And that self, remember, is source energy in the physical world. So we've heard the story of human and divine. We are a combination of human and divine. That means that for each person, it is about understanding that everything we need is within ourselves. And I'm sure you've heard that one before also. Everything you need is deep inside the self. But it means meditation for one thing. Because we live in a world that is so monumentally busy and time-constrained that it's hard to go to the bathroom, you know? It's hard to take a breath sometimes because we have so much that has to be done. So the beginning part of shifting how we understand ourselves is by actually bringing ourselves back into a place where we look at our insane schedules and those for our children, and we say, okay, wait, stop. I have to think about what is important to me and how I find it. Mm -hmm. And that means stop. It means reschedule. It means think about the self. And what does that mean? Who am I? What is important to me? You know, I was talking this morning to a client who is uh, in a long-term marriage, and it's an abusive marriage, and she is struggling to find her way out. And she was talking about part of the problem was that her husband um, kept saying all of these horrible things about her to her. And I said, but what's important here is you have to understand he isn't saying those things to you because he doesn't know you. He knows only his version of you because that's all he has ever been interested in finding out. 
So you now have to go back inside yourself to find out who you are and where your courage is to say, I I can't be abused anymore. I just will not take it. And she's, of course, frightened about, you know, how does she step out? But it's this process of starting to know ourselves. What does that really mean? Who am I? I know what I present to the world, but what is the truth of me? That's where we begin. That's really beautiful in its simplicity. And also, I don't know if there's complexity there as well. It uh, You talk about meditating and being present really is sort of what I understand out of stopping and rescheduling things and, and just also looking at the way life is structured, modern life is structured and choosing within that what you want to do and what you don't want to do, which is such a powerful message versus just kind of getting caught up in the current of our modern culture. I'm wondering, are you, are there other things? I mean, you're directly pointing to some of the the pains of modern life and parenting. Are there other things you would point to as things for parents to consider? You know, um, that of course is, uh, opens a huge field of, <laughs> of things. But let me, let me back up just a little bit and say, as a parent, um, it is first important to know the self. I remember um, when my children were young, growing up, I lived in Hollywood, where everybody but me had a, you know, nanny and a governess or whatever. And I remember at the time thinking, uh, well, I... I wouldn't want that anyway, even if I, you know, could afford it. I wouldn't want it because I want my children to have my values. Now, that's an interesting thing as a parent because the truth is the children, every person born into this world comes in with his or her own values. We are custodians of our children. Our job is to know who they are and to really be able to find the way to support in the best possible way who they are. But here's the thing. If I don't know who I am, how then do I figure out who they are? Right. You know, you're saying also kind of that notion of who are you yourself. One of the things I ask a client when I first started start working with them is what is your passion? What do you love above anything? And I'm not talking about children right now. What is your passion? It is absolutely amazing to me how many people say, I don't know. Mm. I don't know what my passion is. I don't know what I love. I don't know what I would stand up for in face of, you know, people trying to knock me down. What is my truth? So in order, I believe, to be the most effective parent, you need to be the most effective person you can be. That is also true, by the way, for relationships. You know, now we come to this other issue because our culture, uh, particularly the power structures we have created, tell us you can't uh, put yourself first. You have to be last on your list. And as parents, we know 
um, as parents and wives, as women, we know we're often not even on the list, let alone <laughs> we're above last. Mm-hmm. The truth is we have to know who we are, what our talents are, what our journey is about in order then to be able to love our spouses and our children. If I do not love myself, then I'm looking to my spouse and my children to give me me. And then how can I be a parent? Right. So I have to know what my passion is. I have to know what I care about more than anything. And again, I'm excluding children there because that's a separate issue. Right. I have to like myself. I have to believe that I am strong, that I will stand in my truth, that I am capable, that I am willing, that I can figure things out if I need to. I have to, as the old airplane says, put your own oxygen mask on first because otherwise you cannot be there for anyone else. That's true as a person and as a parent and as a partner. If you are not fully aware of yourself, if you cannot say, you know, I really like who I am, doesn't mean I don't have lots to learn, doesn't mean I won't spend my life learning, but I'm really kind of an okay person. I like myself. I feel good about myself. I know that I can stand for what I believe in. I know that I can take care of my children. I can give them my love and experience and support them when they have hard times, which they all will. So here again, in order to be the best parent you can be, it then becomes critical that you are the best person you can be. Mm-hmm. And so if someone out there listening to you is thinking, great, I'm ready. I am looking at who am I, looking at what are my passions, really taking on everything that you just said, how do I get started? What would you say to that person? Well, I mean, you've just, of course, done how do you get started on all all of those different yeah. things. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, and it is a process. It certainly is a process. So if we're doing a bullet point here, right, you start out with, okay, who am I? What do I care about? What are my passions? As I learn what they are, what do I do with them? Now, I realize as I'm saying all of this, a lot of the listeners are going to be saying, yeah, right, I have my children to get to school, I have their lunches to do, I have laundry, I have housework, I have a job full time, I have a husband that I have to take care of, I have all of the social life that I, I mean, it's, it, none of this is a piece of cake, we know that. Mm-hmm. And it does require also sort of a time budgeting in order to make certain that everybody has time for the self because what happens often, if certainly my clients are where, you know, the body is the messenger, if you don't take care of yourself, your body will stop. You will get sick, you'll get the flu, you will get something. Your body will stop in order for you to take quite a few breaths and to rethink where you are. And what's important about that is, I mean, even as I'm saying this, you know and I know that 
I would get out of the flu bed and think, oh, thank God, I'm up again. I can do the lunches and the laundry and the housework and the driving and the brownies and the PTA and the, you know, not not to mention my job. So all of this, it, it really requires kind of a rethinking of how we structure our family lives because the women, wives, mothers, are almost always the central energy figure of the family. How the Mm -hmm. mother, wife, woman structures the family is how it will go. So that means, here again, as a parent, I have to sit down and think, okay, who are my children? If I have them, if I have six, who are they each? What am I able to do to give each of them the best I can to further each of their journeys. But now, come back to the issue of meditation, which is a really important piece because in finding out who I am, I also want to know, why am I here? What is my journey? What is it about? What am I, what are my talents? What are what I call the assets we all bring into a life? What are those assets that we are then responsible for Music. If I come in and I have the most beautiful singing voice in the world and I never use it, then I have failed myself. Mm-hmm. Well, so it really all starts with how do I understand myself and how do I then bring, and by the way, um, more often than not, it's the wife who brings this to the husband as well, because men don't often think this way. Mm. Now, that brings us to the issue of male and female energy, which I just want to throw in here. Great. That's on my list of things to talk about. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so okay. let's elaborate on that. Right. And it's very important to point out what you just said, which is we're not talking about gender. There's a distinction between male-female gender versus energy. Could you elaborate? Yes. Every human being comes into the world as four aspects, mind, body, emotion, and spirit. Every human being has all four of those. Female energy is emotion and spirit. Male energy is mind and body. When we gender ourselves, that is when we choose a lifetime and we decide what gender we're going to be, we generally come in with specific things to do that will use more of the energy of the gen we have chosen. So you with me there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, of course, we have an awful lot of uh, gender, um, what's the word, I guess, that gender shifting and, and people who don't know. And I fully understand that all of the uh, LGBTQ, um, what's the other one now? We have the transgender and the, the ones that call themselves them, all of this is about restructuring how male and female energies, again, not gender, energies are used in the world. So we have a very male energy society. We are very mind-body. Emotion and spirit, an awful lot of our culture just don't exist. Those two Mm -hmm. things just don't exist. When women first started joining the workforce, you know, really kind of in the 
um, what, 70s, I guess, the, the sort of, what did they call that? The um, Women's lib? Women's lib. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When that first started, women were supposed to have the choice between being a stay-at-home parent, wife, housewife person, or going to work. But very quickly after that started, the whole energy changed so that if you chose to be mother, wife, homemaker, you were, there was something wrong with you. But you couldn't choose the business world unless you started to operate in male energy. Right. So we are now moving into, you know, we're doing a PhD course here in a half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. We're now moving from Pisces energy, which is dominantly male energy, into Aquarian energy, started in 2012. And Aquarian energy is about the balance of male and female energies. Meaning that in our world, the arts and music that our male-dominated political system has taken out of the system will have to come back in. The ability to access all four parts of the self. Women do that far more often than men. I mean, women can wear tuxedos to a dinner party and be beautiful. If a man wore an evening gown to a dinner party, he would not be considered beautiful. Imagine. So, so we are looking at this huge transition from male energy domination, where we've been for about 6,000 years, because each era is just over 2,000 years long, and the next era, which is now Aquarius, which will be 2,250 years long. This is now our chance to start to balance a culture with both male and female energies. This is why we have all of the Me Too movement, which has started right after 2012. All of this is now coming forward, finally addressing the fact that male energy can no longer dominate our world. So now we have to look at when we come back to each individual person, what what am I doing in my life? Where's my male energy? Where's my female energy? You know, men who are now becoming more active in their children's lives are accessing female energy. That has been a long time coming. You know, if I'm going to go have a meeting with a lawyer, I'm going to want my male energy kind of front and center. If I'm going to go work with a bunch of kindergarten children, I'm going to want my female energy to be front and center. We all have all of those four aspects. We just don't recognize it. We don't balance it. And we don't know how to consciously access what it is we need. And by the way, that part of it, that is looking at what's important to me, also is a road into what is my journey. Mm-hmm. What are the talents I have brought in and how am I going to put those talents out here in a way that are, it's going to not just benefit me because this is now my journey, but it's also going to benefit those I'm bringing those talents to, whatever those talents might be. Yeah. 
So you've said a lot there that was really just amazing. And I'd like to break down a couple of, of elements of it. One is that you talked about the shift from the Piscean to the Aquarian from era, and that each era is just over 2000 years long. What astrologically or with sort of the planets determines the length of an era? Or how does how do these eras get produced? Okay, so this is actually astronomy, not astrology. They're two different things. This is called the precession of the equinoxes. You can find this online if you look it up. Precession of the equinoxes. The Earth takes 26,750 years to go through all 12 signs of the zodiac in terms of its orbit. Mm. So each, each of those signs then is approximately 2,250 years. So we we have just started in 2012 because it was just before the advent of Jesus and Christianity by a couple hundred years that Pisces came in. Pisces is about chaos and conflict. Aquarius is about balance and peace. So we have completely polar opposite energies, but also because our what we understand anyway to be our human history is not 26,750 years long. So that means in our present human form, we have never experienced Aquarian energy. Oh, I see. So we can look at the news every day and we can see the balance is way off. We can see male energy fighting like hell. That's the Trump side. Fighting mm-hmm. like hell as male energy to maintain all of the structures as male dominated because male energy doesn't know how to access their own female energy. Therefore, they're scared to death of it because the real power lies in emotion and spirit. Now, every male on the planet has full access to emotion and spirit. Artists, writers, musicians, composers, they are the men who will access female energy because female energy is creation energy. Right. Male energy is numbers, order, um, structure, power. Female energy is emotion. It is about creation. It is about how do I make the world a better place? Male energy doesn't usually think about making the world a better place for anyone except male energy. Right. And so what you're saying is that we are just at the very beginning. Yes. We're seven years into this yes. new era that will last more than 2,000 years. And so this Correct. disruption that we're seeing, and oh, by yes. the way, this new era that we're moving into, this Aquarian era, isn't about female energy becoming superior no. to male energy. It's about balance. That is correct. And yes, we are seven years into it. So a client the other day said to me, well, how long do you think it'll be before we can kind of understand this balance? And I said, <laughs> probably about 500 years. And she said, what? <laughs> I thought maybe you'd say 50 years or something. I said, uh-uh. We got a yeah. long way to go. 
Right. So from where we sit today, and I do want to take the conversation into uh, another direction in a moment because you have such great wisdom to share with sort of souls and how our children choose the parents. And, and I want to delve into that aspect. But before we leave sort of the present day understanding, I'm sitting here as a mom of four kids thinking, okay, we're at the dawn of Aquarius. And yes. How, exactly right. Which I never understood. I think that's in a Broadway show, right? Which yes, one? it is. Um, yeah. And now those words, of course, ring differently to me, understanding this context. And I think, okay, what do I need to know or think about or do as I raise my kids into this new era? That is a really good question. Um, and how long did you say we have? <laughs> <laughs> I have one hypothesis, which is to raise, I have two girls and two boys. And actually, my husband and I are both very balanced. In, we both, I, I'm very fluent in my male energy. I worked in corporate America for a long time. And, oh, yes, um, yes, and he's a creator and an entrepreneur. And, and so we're, there's a lot of balance of energy in our household. I suppose we're lucky that way. And so I think one of the first things to do or think about is to sort of nurture in our children, all four of them, male or female, all of their different energies. Correct. Absolutely correct. And you know, we very much have boys get trucks and girls get dolls. Um, and, you know, many girls might be mechanics and many boys might be nurses. So we really want to start bringing forward the idea that there are human things, that there are not things that are necessarily boy or girl. That brings up, of course, the issue of war, which we could do the next five hours on, but we won't, <laughs> because part of what the Aquarian energy is about is ultimately the banishment of war. War ah. is a whole male energy dominated issue about power and about a very superficial understanding of what power is. So to come back to your question about your four children, what you are doing is consistently allowing them to look at the other side of everything that's going on. You know, I was talking to a guy once a while ago who was a parent of two boys who were constantly fighting, and he was driving him crazy. And finally, he decided on this little um, exercise that he was going to do. So one of the boys would come and say, he threw my truck across the room. And my friend would look at the other kid and say, hmm, he says you threw his truck across the room. Well, he got mad and started yelling at me. He turns back mm -hmm. to the first one and says, well, he tells me that you were yelling at him. He did this back and forth until finally the boys got so fed up with it, they just said, oh, come on, let's just go play. <laughs> <laughs> so what he was doing was female energy facing male energy, and how was he going to um, shift that warlike thing that came there? And he that was a particular way of doing it. I thought it was a pretty clever way of doing it that all he did was just, in a very calm voice, repeat exactly what each of them said to the other one. And eventually, the calmness of his voice and the ludicrousness of what they were yelling about registered. And they both said, okay, screw this, you know, <laughs> we're not doing this anymore. So part of it is for each of your kids to constantly be able to look at the other side of everything, whether it is with each other or anyone else 
One of the things that is so critical in terms of just Aquarian energy and balanced male and female energy is that there isn't only one side of anything. Mm. So the more that you can encourage your children <clears throat> to look at, well, my sister just did or said whatever. Well, why do you think that might be? What do you think she could have been thinking when she did or said that? And by the way, in terms of any kind of confrontation, asking questions will always be the best way to go. You know, Pat, this has been a theme in every interview I've done so far is asking questions is the is such a powerful response to your kids. Yeah. Asking questions, because among other things, when you ask questions, you make them think about what it is they are saying, what it is that's on the other side, who it is they are, you know, standing up against and why. And that will take them out into the world, in a world where right at this moment, the backlash of Piscean energy is literally shoot first, ask questions later. Right. So as parents of young children at this time, your job is to not even have a shooting weapon anywhere near. Questions are what you are doing because questioning will always make somebody think. If you are telling somebody what to think, they're not necessarily going to hear you. If right. you are asking a question so they have to stop and think, that starts a whole process for them that is a way better way of starting to move into the outer world. Right. I love it. And frankly, I've been, since I became aware of this, putting it into practice, and it is working a lot better than me yeah. intervening and dictating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just having them. It takes a, a, a beat longer. Yes, it and does. yet it has sort of shortened, in a way, it's shortened the resolution of some of these conflicts because I'm asking my kids, well, what, look at your brother. Now, how is he responding to what you did? Oh, well, he's sad. And, you know, we sort of work through it from there Yeah. versus me dictating, you can't take his toy. And not only that, but when you, when you take, what happens is the kid who's now the losing end of that dictation go away and start, you know, moving it around inside himself and kind of going, whereas if you do it in the way you're talking about now, each of them has to think and neither one of them end up being on the losing end of your dictation. Wow. I hope you learned something new in today's episode. I know that I did. And as I thought about the nugget of inspiration I wanted to leave you with today, one of the things that stood out in what Pat said is that our culture tells us you can't put yourself first. And that the truth is that we as parents, and especially as moms, for those of you who are moms out there listening, have to know who we are because we're the ones who oftentimes really are defining the energy for the family and for the household. And as confronting as that may be, if you're looking at it going, 
gosh, uh, that sounds overwhelming or like I have a lot of work to do. It's also an invitation to step into really focusing on yourself and prioritizing yourself and taking the time to self-care or meditate or just be by yourself for a minute or do something that brings yourself joy for a minute. So I just want to leave you with the inspiration this week to put yourself first. Think of something right now that you weren't planning on doing this week and prioritize making that thing happen for yourself and make a commitment and and make it happen in the next week before we talk again. And with that, I will leave you until next week. We have our second episode with Pat. She's going to share her amazing wisdom answering one of the most profound questions that I had, which is, do children and stepchildren choose their parents? How does all that work? So she's going to share with us what she has learned about that, as well as other wonderful wisdom that she has to share. I look forward to talking with you next week. In the meanwhile, if you've enjoyed this, please share it with a friend and rate and review so other people can find us. Thanks and have a wonderful week. 